This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Today is Friday. It's the 2nd of February. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Grant Gerlach. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds has filed a bill that would require transgender Iowans who changed their gender on their driver's license or birth certificate to also have their sex assigned at birth on their ID. This means anyone who sees a person's driver's license would know the person is transgender. Reynolds didn't mention this bill in her condition of the state address where she unveiled her other legislative priorities. In a statement, she says women and men possess unique biological differences. Reynolds says, quote, this bill protects women's spaces and rights afforded to us by Iowa law and the Constitution. Iowa Safe Schools, which advocates for LGBTQ youth, condemned the bill. Executive Director Becky Taylor says Reynolds has, quote, made it crystal clear that transgender Iowans are not welcome in their own state. The Republicans who run the Iowa House and Senate tax committees have released a plan to eventually eliminate the state income tax. IPR's Katerina Sestarek reports. Representative Bobby Kaufman and Senator Dan Dawson say their new bill would have Iowa's public employee pension system manage the taxpayer relief fund. As that investment grows, the new money would be used to ratchet down Iowa's income tax rate based on growth in sales tax revenue. Kaufman says they can get rid of the income tax without using one-time funds and without raising other taxes. And I think that if you look at what other states have done, not only is it one of the more innovative plans, I think it's one of the most responsible in the entire country at getting Iowa to our long-term goal of 0% income tax. Dawson says he thinks this is the best way to use the more than $3 billion in the taxpayer relief fund. Their bill is very different from Governor Kim Reynolds' tax bill. She's proposing speeding up tax cuts to reach a flat 3.5% income tax next year. A House subcommittee did not advance Governor Kim Reynolds' special education overhaul this week, but Speaker Pat Grassley says House Republicans are still talking about ways to move forward with some version of reform. Reynolds' plan would allow districts to opt out of funding their local area education agency and to use state and federal special education funds to hire a different provider. Grassley said the House GOP can build off of that, but right now he says they want to reset the conversation with schools and parents. I think we can do that, but we just want to make sure that there's certainty over the next several years for school districts. And like I said, more importantly, certainty for parents receiving these services, because right now we feel that's one piece that's being lost um, in the conversations. The governor's bill did pass a Senate subcommittee. An effort by a few Johnson County Democrats to censure their own county attorney failed last night. Currently, County Attorney Rachel Zimmerman-Smith is pursuing charges against Tara McGovern for blocking traffic during an October protest and interfering with police. Of the seven people originally charged, McGovern is the only one who didn't accept a plea deal. Brad Kunkel is the sheriff of Johnson County. I'm confident that if this pattern of behavior was carried out by the other party, we would loudly point out why this is unacceptable in a democratic society. And yet here we are talking about censuring the county attorney for carrying out her duties faithfully and impartially when the parties who bring this to our attention have failed to do that very thing. Johnson County Supervisor John Green had called for the censure of Zimmerman Smith for not exercising discretion in the decision to prosecute McGovern. 
University of Iowa basketball star Caitlin Clark has claimed the Big Ten scoring record this week, and she's been a must-see attraction outside of Iowa City all year, with some tickets going for thousands of dollars on the secondary market. Schools that have hosted Iowa have sold out routinely and seen an attendance increase over 150%. This is Here First. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Today, in a community near you, students may have traveled to school on an electric bus. What was once a rare technology is now hitting roads across the Midwest. After a long ramp-up, the Environmental Protection Agency is beginning to send almost 5,000 electric buses to schools. Harvest Public Media's Kate Grumke reports on what early adopters think so far. Kids run through cold rain toward idling buses as school lets out in the Rawls County School District. About 800 students attend this rural district in Northeast Missouri. It has a fleet of 17 buses that pretty much all look the same. But two of these school buses are running on batteries. This school district is one of the first in Missouri to get these electric buses from a new federal program. On board, the kids are excited. Ninth grader Ian Joyner, who happens to be the driver's son, has noticed the difference. It's it's not as loud as the other ones, but it's definitely fun to ride this bus. Ian takes his seat as the drivers get the all clear to head home. All right, drivers, have a safe trip. Enjoy your night. The EPA's clean school bus program has sent at least one electric bus to almost every U.S. state, and thousands more are on their way to school districts across the Midwest. So far, the federal government has invested $1.8 billion in the program throughout the country. It's funded by the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. As more and more school districts try out this new technology, reviews are coming in. Well, I'm in love with the buses so far. That's Shawnee Public Schools Transportation Director John Wiles. His district is on the Citizen Potawatomi Nation's tribal lands in Shawnee, Oklahoma. They have two electric buses so far and should receive two more in the next month. A major benefit is the fact that these produce zero emissions, and so they can sit there in line uh, waiting for the kids to get out without creating any kind of breathing problems whatsoever. The lower greenhouse gas emissions from the electric buses also help slow climate change. But there's one big downside, the price tag. A new electric school bus can cost about three times more than a new diesel bus. Plus, districts have to install expensive charging infrastructure. At the same time, the electricity is less expensive per mile compared to diesel. Maintenance is also cheaper, in part because the buses don't need oil changes. But altogether, that still doesn't make up the cost difference. Jeff Dix is superintendent of two school districts in northern Iowa. One is Albert City Truesdale, which got an electric bus in December. You can't spend four times, three and a half times what you would for a regular bus. We actually have a solar field that provides electricity to our entire building, but that did make sense. That pays for itself in eight years. Sue Gander says that's why this federal program is so important. She's director of the Electric School Bus Initiative, 
an organization that wants to see the entire U.S. fleet go electric. The federal money, particularly in the last couple of years, has been, you know, has been really instrumental in, in making a lot of this momentum possible. Back in Rawls County, Transportation Supervisor Eric Joyner drives one of the electric buses through a typical route on gravel roads between farms. He's really excited about these buses. I think it's fun. I like driving a school bus better than my own personal vehicle, so <laughs> But he gets what some call range anxiety on his long rural routes. One time his battery got down to 8%. So when you start getting that low, you start to kind of panic a little bit, especially when you got kids on board. One of the buses had a technical problem early on, taking it out of service. And that experience makes it hard for Joyner to recommend them. Still, he says, this program has been great for cash-strapped rural school districts, mostly because it meant free buses. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Kate Grumke. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including IPR News, covering agriculture, food systems, and rural issues. Thanks for catching up with Here First from IPR News. Be sure to subscribe while you're at it wherever you get your podcasts.